0: it's an exercise in project management starting your own firm and you know the kind of project management that i had to do over the last couple of years was really no different and in many ways much easier than a lot of the project management that i had to do on major pieces of litigation when i was at the large firms you're listening to be that lawyer life changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice Each episode, your host, author, and lawyer coach, Steve Fretzen, will take a deeper dive, helping you grow your law practice in less time with greater results. Now, here's your host,
1: Steve Fretzen. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the show. My name is Steve Fretzen. I am a business development coach working with attorneys all over the country. And if you are the first time here in this show, uh, it's called Be That Lawyer, and I interview rainmakers and technical wizards and marketing geniuses all in the legal industry, trying to help you get more information and insights about how to run a successful law practice. My guest today is a superstar named Jeremy Baker. A Baker Law Group. He's an attorney, he's a writer, he's a teacher of construction law. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, absolutely my pleasure, my pleasure. Well, maybe give a little bit of background. I didn't do justice to you, I'm sure. So give a little background for our listeners.
0: No problem. Well, Steve, I focus exclusively on design and construction law. And when I tell people that, most people immediately confuse me with either a real estate lawyer or somebody that just handles construction defect litigation. And neither is exactly true. You know, real estate lawyers help people purchase property and lease property and paid financing and get entitlements like zoning changes. My work is different. I help with the design and construction of buildings upon the real estate, and it's it's a very small subspecialty. I don't have data, but I'd guess that there's a hundred real estate lawyers for every construction lawyer. Maybe a few dozen that are very good in Chicago. And uh, half my work is transactional, and half is related to dispute resolution.
1: Very, very cool. Good stuff. And, uh, you know, give the the listeners a little bit of information about kind of what you're up to, because you've got uh, some unique things going on right now.
0: Well, most of my work, you know, falls into the two two buckets, uh, transactional and dispute resolution. You know, on the transactional side, there's not many people out there that stop to consider, you know, the risk and complexity, financial and otherwise, of major construction projects. There can be dozens of designers and contractors who enter into a complex web of interrelated contracts and large sums of money change hands so if one contractor is delayed it can have a ripple effect through the entire project leading to major delays and expenses and so uh, with this in mind i help people who design and build determine the most advantageous ways to structure their project you know meaning who's going to contract with whom i help to allocate risks across the project's many contracts including not just things like cost and schedule, but also insurance, and indemnity and bonds, responsibility for safety. And then during the project, I help to proactively avoid disputes and achieve win-win outcomes. On the dispute resolution side, you know, I've litigated constantly for the last 18 years, and I do handle mediation, arbitration, and litigation. And if I have a passion in the law, it's helping my clients avoid the cost and hassle of protracted litigation or arbitration. I'm a big believer in early cost-efficient dispute resolution. You know, see very few design and construction disputes ever reach a venture or a jury trial. And taking a dispute to a final arbitration hearing is more common. But smart business people are starting to ask, you know, why are we spending so much money on lawyers to prepare for trials that seldom occur? I totally understand. So when it comes to dispute resolution, I'm laser focused on helping people resolve claims in, you know, three months and not three years.
1: Gotcha. And, and so you have all this experience and and knowledge. And so obviously, this show is about you know taking that knowledge and, and going out and getting clients or or marketing yourself. And I know from talking with you and in, in our in our past relationship that you have a, a real passion for business development, marketing, things that relate to growth. Uh, And so, can you just take a minute and and share a little bit about what inspired you or directed you to that point?
0: Well, I think it's a matter of necessity now, Steve. As you know, I have a newly minted solo practice. I opened my law firm's doors in October 2019 after nearly 18 years at uh, large law firms. So, uh, you know, business development has always been something that I was interested in, but it's certainly much more central to what I'm doing now since I'm out on my own.
1: Right. Right. And so that was a, a big move and, and um, it's exciting stuff. What inspired you to go out on your own? What was the, what was the impetus? Well, I know a you have, st- I know you have, a, I know you have a, I'm sorry. I know you have a story about it, so I'd love to hear it.
0: Well, you know, so I, I, I graduated from law school in 2002 and and took the, the Illinois bar uh, and started off at a firm by the name of Cozen O'Connor, which is an AMLA 100 firm, a big firm, as an associate in their Chicago office. And I was there for you know almost four years of rather intense sink or swim litigation. And I was lucky to first chair at disputes in you know seven or eight states around the Midwest. But I decided to make a move in my fourth year of practice over to Ship Harden, where I was for most of the last 14 years uh, until four months ago. I was uh, a, a partner at Schiff Harden, which is an AmLaw 200 firm with over 300 lawyers and offices around the U.S. And I decided to lateral over to Schiff Harden in uh, 2006, uh, mostly thinking that I would really specialize in design and construction law as a path to becoming a uh, real estate developer, which is something I'm still semi-interested in. But when the crash occurred in, you know, 08 and 09, and that seemed like less of an appealing path, I really threw myself into, uh, you know, developing my reputation and, and really trying to figure out how to develop a great career uh, as a lawyer in a firm. And that's really where my focus on business development took shape.
1: Got it. And so moving out on your own, obviously, you know, it kind of can be scary. What, what were some of the, the concerns or barriers that you had in your way to do that, to leave the firm and to go out on your own? I mean, that's pretty courageous.
0: You know, it's interesting. I hear a lot of people saying, you know, that it's very courageous. And and of course, to some extent, you know, I, I can understand that there is obviously risk involved in that. I do think, though, that we're amidst uh, sort of an inflection point in the practice of law. And I think that as I look around, I see things changing a lot with lawyers and firms, big and small. And, you know, to some extent, I uh, decided that I wanted to get where I thought the market was going first, and uh, you know, rather than you know maybe take the consequences of risk that would accrue, you know, over years or decades, that I would just take all my risk at once, uh, knowing that uh, with about 20 or so years left in my career, if for some reason it didn't pan out, uh, I'd have plenty of time to get back into the uh, large law firm game.
1: So you had a little bit of a little bit of a, a backup plan with that. But it was still something that I. It seems like you had a lot of impetus to to make the move.
0: Yeah, you know, and and it's 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 an interesting thing because I never really decided to leave Schiff Hard, and I never had any particular moment where I said I have to get out of here. You know, I was, you know, as I said, I lateral there in 'o six. I made partner in two thousand twelve. So half my time was an associate, half as a partner, and it's really an outstanding firm that I love. I was really fortunate to work with great people throughout the firm but our construction law group was really special really great mentors and so there wasn't any moment where i said i i really need to to leave it was a slow realization over a period of years that on the one hand it might be a good thing for my uh, for my family and as you know i've got four young kids between the ages of uh, 4 and 9 you know, but also I discovered a very interesting world of technology and sort of a subculture out there of, you know, maybe a hundred thousand or so lawyers that are solo practitioners or in small firms that are doing some of the most cutting edge things with technology and implementing lean methodologies to increase their efficiencies and really, you know, getting after self-improvement and improving their practices in a way that that really spoke to me and, and pulled me in. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I feel like the decision to go out on my own is something that sort of happened accidentally over time as I became completely fascinated with this small firm and, and solo law firm. Subculture that I discovered,
1: and, and you know, you mentioned some of the technology and some of the innovations that you've identified and observed. What are one or two or three that you just blew your mind, or that you that you would recommend, or just want to chat about a little bit with our with our audience as it relates to efficiencies and and, and things that they should be aware of and that you that you identified.
0: Well, you know, what really set me down this path was, you know, the accident of finding the purple podcast app on my iPhone about four years ago. It was something I really never paid any attention to because I'm a music lover and I spent all my time listening to music. But I discovered that there were a few dozen of these podcasts that focus on small and solo law firms where very interesting things were being discussed with regard to technology. And so, you know, I started to investigate you know a, a few dozen products that I found to be interesting not for myself but because my wife is also a solo practice lawyer and I was looking for ways to increase her efficiency so that she you know could earn more without you know taking a lot of time away from from the kids and what i found is that there are you know dozens of saas based programs that are comparatively inexpensive you know, that you can get on a monthly basis, so no long-term subscriptions, where, you know, if data is entered into one system, it can say a CRM. At the time when, you know, that person who entered the data signed up as a client, the data passes through uh, these uh, pathways called APIs to other uh, of these SaaS-based platforms. And so the data, you know, can carry through your system from end to end throughout the life of the case. So, Theoretically, if somebody was to go to my website and type their name in, if my systems were working well and they became a client, I wouldn't have to uh, type their name again many times throughout the life of the case. I'd be able to kind of port that data along with me. That being said, over the course of the last several years as I've explored these products, what I found is that I was able to design my own sort of IT infrastructure that replaced a lot of the functions that the, you know, large law firm uh, performed for me, whether it's intake screening, whether it's preparing documents in ways where people can sign them with a finger instead of, you know, a piece of paper, uh, you know, on their iPhone or their iPad, practice management software that does time tracking and accounting and and just has Uh, so many features that I never imagined would be affordable. And I think really weren't available on the market until maybe five years or so ago.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So what would be um, one or two things that you would tell, let's say, a lawyer who is interested or has a mindset of of at some point going solo, that lesson that you learned or something that, that you would, you know, just a recommendation that you would make before someone makes that jump?
0: One thing I would say is that you know there's a lot of lawyers out there, and I was one of them for a long time, that, that really thought that starting my own practice would be impossible and wouldn't be something that I would ever want to do. And as I mentioned, Steve, it was a long process of sort of coming around to think that that wasn't the case. But one of the things that was helpful for me is when I realized that the process of figuring out all of the different aspects of the practice that I would need to put into place to function – really isn't as complicated as it seems you know when i was you know in, in my former career at the big law firms i worked on projects that were far more complicated with far more variables than you know really are things that you need to consider when you're setting up a law practice and you know like anything when you start with a blank piece of paper which is where i was when i first began down this path it's really an exercise in issue spotting, you know, figuring out, you know, what are the things I need to decide? What are the things I need to buy? And anyone who is considering going out on their own, first of all, they can reach out to me. I'd be happy to help them. But, you know, if you were to take your podcast app and, and search out these, um, you know, several dozen podcasts about small firm and, and solo law practice, I think it really would help with your issue spotting. Uh, after I listened to a few hundred of these, I had a pretty good idea of the technology was out there. And also, you know, what are the sort of things that concern lawyers? What are the pain points? And it's kind of like legal research where after a while you begin to see the same cases again and again, and you know that you've sort of ventilated the issue. After I listened to enough podcasts and I started to hear people talk about the same issues and the same technology again and again, it gave me some confidence that I had my arms around a lot of the decisions that were to be made. And, you know, it's an exercise in project management starting your own firm. And, you know, the kind of project management that I had to do over the last couple of years was really no different. And in many ways, much easier than a lot of the project management that I had to do on major pieces of litigation when I was at the large firms.
1: And are there, are there things that you would recommend? I mean, if somebody's on a budget, I mean, if somebody has, you know, $5,000 a month to spend on overhead, you know, from rent to an assistant to phone systems, what if somebody really doesn't have that? They want to go on a shoestring. What would you, what would you say to them?
0: Well, I'd say it's a great time to start your practice because almost all of the things that you need, you can purchase on a monthly basis. And, and to give you an example of, of something that is not what I would consider to be groundbreaking technology, but just almost miraculous in terms of not having something like this five or 10 years ago, I use Microsoft Office 365, and I think I pay something like $15 a month for it. And, you know... The email, the calendaring function is great, but then the ability to have you know a, a very large amount of cloud-based storage for for documents, you know, if you really need it to go out on a shoestring budget, you know, you'd want to have professional liability insurance. You want to have another uh, important things like that, but you could probably start your practice just using you know Office 365 as a framework. You know, have gone a little bit deeper than that. There's a, a number of different practice management software products that are out there. As I mentioned, I've got you know a CRM that connects to the backside of my website and you know collects uh, information on you know new leads, and that system connects to my practice management software where I'm able to track my you know my matters and record time and you know do my billing. Uh, and there's a variety of different. Excellent uh, platforms that are out there for that. I happen to use uh, a product that is uh, produced by Clio, which is probably the big dog in law practice management software. But I've been blown away by everything that Clio is able to do in terms of running my practice. And, you know, it's something that you can get on a monthly basis for comparatively little money. So I would say that. It is a great time to be starting a law practice on a shoestring budget because you don't need to make those long-term commitments and buy things that you know years ago were required. I don't have you know an office with a, a year-long lease that I'm tied to. I don't have a library full of paper books. I don't have a server room full of computers and air conditioners to keep them cool. Everything that I need to practice, I can get on a monthly basis, and it's it's all hosted and stored in the cloud, and so. Uh, it's it's a very good time, I think, to be thinking about an entrepreneurial move, even if you're on a relatively small budget.
1: Right on, right on. So let's move into a segment I like to call. They never taught this to me in law school, which uh, here covers a lot of ground. As a non-lawyer, I hear that pretty pretty much every day. And so, is there one thing that you would say to a young lawyer who's going, you know, an L three coming out of law school that you'd say, hey, you know this is this is what you need to know, or this is something really important as it relates to growth practice management, marketing, uh, networking, things that are are you know that they they're just not teaching in law school. Well,
0: there's so many things, Steve, but you know in keeping with you know your area of expertise, one of the things that I wish someone had explained to me when I was in law school was that most of my career, I would have to be focused on client acquisition which, you know, is the blinding flash of the obvious, I think, to a lot of people who are listening out there. But there are different kinds of clients in different kinds of of practice areas. You know, my wife's practice, for example, which is estate planning, is something that many, if not most people, at some point in their lives are going to need. So, you know, my wife could walk up and down Michigan Avenue and every single person that crosses her path is, you know, potentially a client and every person on, you know, the sideline of the soccer field when our kid's playing is potentially a client for her. Uh, I think of that, you know, as almost sort of more like a retail practice, but there are other kinds of practices in, in many respects, you know, what I do that are not like that. You know, I could walk up and down Michigan Avenue all day long and, you know, never encounter the CEO of a major company that would want to hire someone uh, like myself for the specific kind of work that I do. And so I wish that somebody helped me understand in law school that I shouldn't be thinking just about what practice area do I want to be in and do I want to be doing transactions or do I want to be doing litigation? I wish somebody helped me understand that if I could project forward 10 or 20 years in my life. And ask myself what my goals would be personally and professionally, you know what kind of practice area would I want to get into, given the need that I was going to have to develop my own book of business? And so I might have gone into a different practice area, one that is more retail, one where you know the need is more prevalent for people that you'd pass on the street than something like what I do uh, because it is at times a little more difficult to. Uh, you know, find uh, the people who have the ability to hire me. That being said, uh, I think I missed my calling uh, in life. I think I probably should have been an architect. So, you know, being a design and construction attorney in Chicago, now that I have a better handle on the business development side of things is something that I really enjoy. and, And with the benefit of hindsight, I'm not sure I would have done anything different
1: yeah listen I mean there's a lot that they're gonna have to figure out at some point you know to teach networking to teach business development basic level marketing how to go solo. I think there are some practice management classes at different schools, but it's not at all where it where it needs to be and I think uh you know the lawyers need to know kind of what what's going on as they're coming out of it and again if they're going in-house or there's some other elements then they might be okay but for many of the of the attorneys coming out they've got a Think about it. And even the the associates that have been practicing for three to five years, I mean, they've got to start thinking strategically about their future um, the way you did. So listen, Jeremy, so wrapping up, how do people get in touch with you or is there anything you'd like to promote your website to let people know how to get in touch with you? Well, yeah,
0: you can get in touch with me through my website, which is www.buildchicagolaw.com. That's Build Chicago Law. And, uh, you know, I, I really have enjoyed the journey that I've gone on in recent years. And I would be very pleased to hear from others who are thinking about uh, leaping out on their own. And I'd be very happy to help them in any way that I can down that path if that's uh, where they decide to go.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great offer because I think there is a lot of fear out there and people that, that you know, again, it, it may not have to reinvent the wheel if, they, if they've if they got a friend in me or you that can help them with some things that, you know, the automobile's been built. They just have to copy it or they just have to work off of something that's already existing.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a real impetus there because I, I look around and I see the practice of law dramatically changing. You know, everybody sort of says that, you know things are changing i think they're they're changing much more quickly than a lot of lawyers who tend to have a head down you know billable mentality realize and a lot of the technology that i've seen rolled out in recent years i believe is going to make it easier for law firms to get by with less and less young lawyers less and less associates there's a lot more uh, uh, automation artificial intelligence practical applications that might make it harder for somebody to be a lawyer without their own book of business. And so it's my, it's my prediction that in the next three to five years, there will be uh, you know, droves of uh, former law firm attorneys that are uh, deciding to strike out on their own, some out of necessity and some simply out of uh, you know, the empowered realization that it's something that they can do.
1: Right. I think we're already seeing some of that happen and it's, it is going to continue, especially as things get more and more challenging and you know, heaven forbid, there's a a recession coming at some point. That's also going to be a factor like it did, as you mentioned, back in 2008 and nine. Jeremy, listen again, I want to thank you. I really appreciate you being on my show and uh, best of luck to you. I know you're, you're going to crush it out there. So thanks for being with us.
0: Pleasure's mine, Steve. Thank you.
1: Awesome. And hey, everyone, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, Hopefully uh, you enjoyed today's show and uh, enjoyed Jeremy's story. And that you're one step closer to being that lawyer, confident, organized, and a skilled rainmaker. Thanks, everybody. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Visit Steve's website, fretson.com for additional information and to stay up to date on the latest legal business development and marketing trends. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out today's show notes.